how's your remote training and facilitation going right now? And the reason I ask this is that we are frequently interacting with people whose everyday lives these days are being spent on Zoom or Teams. They're meeting family and friends and colleagues. They're holding meetings. So when we thrust training, learning, facilitation into the same environment, we really need to make this radical to stand out. So what are the guidelines or rules to move your training workshops, your coaching sessions, uh, your activities from standard to really radical? Well, that's the reason we have a guy on the show today called Joshua Davies. Joshua is based in Hong Kong. He's written a book on the subject called Radically Remote. And the timing is perfect now that we as facilitators are delivering workshops from behind laptops, desktops, and of course, webcams. We really have to think about ways to rethink the quality of our training delivery and to stretch the paradigm. It's time to get radical. So in today's episode, five don'ts for a brilliant remote session, five rules, things to avoid, how to use technology to build authenticity, how to bring the real you and of course the real you that your learners are into that training session, where to have better breakout sessions. We should be doing those, of course, given the intensity of face-to-face or remote learning. How to gamify our facilitation, our training, so that people self-direct and continue to learn after the training session or facilitation session has ended. And of course, crucially, what to do to create learner ownership of the environment and the learning. This is a value-packed episode today, so please leave a rating, share the episode, and subscribe to the show. This is episode 130 of the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hey, welcome to the show. My name is Mark. I'm the host of the Training Business Podcast. This is the weekly show for you, for people like you and me, as freelance trainers, as freelance facilitators, training business owners, training consultants, just like you and me all around the world. People tune in every week to get some tips, guidance, not from me necessarily, but from the guests we have on the show. And often, these guests are people recommended by you as listeners, and I appreciate the critique, the feedback, and suggestions that you give to me on ways to improve the show and, of course, to provide value. And the goal of this episode and every episode is to help you to start to grow and to scale a profitable training business. Today's guest is a guy called Joshua Davies, based in Hong Kong. Joshua works with a range of companies, Fortune 100 companies like Visa and Swiss Re. He has a background with a master's of education, and his area of interest right now is how to help people like you and me to become better remote trainers, remote facilitators. And this is why, on the basis of his book called Radically Remote, we have an episode today finding out from Joshua some ideas on how to structure our remote training better, how to get the basics right, how to bring our authentic selves to our training sessions, how to avoid making really common mistakes, which are easy to make, how to gamify our facilitation sessions, and of course, what to do to create more ownership from our learners. Joshua, hi. Welcome to the show. Uh, Thanks very much for having me, Mark. 
So you're currently in Hong Kong. In fact, you're there right now as I'm talking to you. Um, and your brand is Nomium. And the sub sub tag or, or sub heading of that brand is the Untraining Consultancy. What does that mean exactly? Well, happy to answer. And yeah, hello from home. It's a, a beautiful evening here in Hong Kong. So hello from here. Uh, so yeah, Nomium, sort of unpack that. Untraining Consultancy is the idea that there's too much off-the-shelf training these days, that it's very much a lot of what we we really want to do uh, with sessions is to get people to step away from their conceptions of what training can be and to sort of look and reflect and move in new directions. So that's basically what, what Nomium's involved in. It's it's an imaginary element, but it's the element of knowledge. And we practice conversation architecture, looking at how we can unpack fossilized interactions and move them in new directions. Mm. So your, your background, you were born in Honolulu, you, you're a researcher or previous life as a researcher in persuasive psychology. And these days you call yourself a conversation architect. What does that mean exactly? Well, I, definitely in previous life, a researcher, uh, to give myself the psychologist title would be well overstepping any bounds of education there. But no, I've got a, I've got a master's in the science of education uh, and another almost done in in organizational uh, behavior. So coming at the angle of you know how we actually um, can apply and, and uh, how we can actually look at conversations and look at interactions a bit better. So your question would be how this applies to specifically what we do at Nomium, mm-hmm. the, the background. Yeah. So it, it it's really just... A lucky and fortunate blend, to be honest. Um, I was previously university faculty, so hence the science of education background was just looking at how people learn. Uh, so I was really just interested, not just uh, on the surface level of, of how do we entertain people with education, but how do we bridge that knowing doing gap? And by no means am I the only one exploring that. That's the whole thing of what we're always trying to do, but but way too often it falls by the wayside. Uh, and then the second is all around organizational behavior. So that's just looking at that sort of education within a, a business or organizational context. Okay. So the reason we're talking is because of your work uh, called Radically Remote. And you're all about helping people, trainers, people like you and me, to to train better and to do so in the context of COVID, to train people remotely. Um, and you have a free online course, which is quite interesting right now. So if we begin with what what makes for a great remote session, what what are the highlights do you think that would co- cause someone to come away thinking that was a great session? I've learned things, I've covered these objectives, I have a great feeling about this session and I want to do that again. Mm, that's that's a very good question. It's It honestly begins with breaking expectations. So so thanks for, for sharing the, the free course and, and d- definitely go check that out. But it's really ultimately about breaking the expectations and creating a new sense of space. So there's this wonderful book, The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker. And she has, of course, this lovely quote that says, the way we gather matters. So the way people you bring people into, in, into a space, it, not just in terms of welcoming them in, but in terms of how you've set up the flow and the structure, if it just matches their expectation, if it's just meeting what they're anticipating for a webinar or a session, then they're going to, to drift off. They're going to multitask and do something else. But if you can break that expectation and get them to not perform a conversation or perform participation, but actually have a conversation and actually participate and reflect, then you're taking them somewhere that they haven't been before. And it's creating, you know, what, what, uh, what is it? Chip and Dan Heath would call memorable moments. Uh, so it's, it's really about how do we create that? So it's a huge challenge we have right now. Cause I, as I kind of quipped, uh, with you before we pressed record, uh, these days our students are one inch high, one inch wide. Everyone's the same size in these little boxes on our screen. So we've got to find a way to make remote training sessions more 
more valuable, more interactive, more memorable. And this could be the way that training goes for quite a while to come. So if we think of kind of five don'ts, let's begin with five of your don'ts for people listening. Five don'ts not to apply to a remote session. The first one is don't copy and paste. What does that mean? Oh, absolutely. And I'm, I'm always very happy to plagiarize myself. So yeah, absolutely. So don't copy and paste. It, it's just the idea that, so when we were first moving over to virtual, so in 2019, ATD, um, Association for uh, uh, Training Development, they put forward that in 2019, 10% of training was online. Almost all of it, 90% was face-to-face. So in 2020, everybody was suddenly quickly moving online. Yes, some people had some experience with it, but a lot were brand new. So the temptation is to take a, let's say, a two-hour or four-hour face-to-face session and just copy and paste the slides, copy and paste the interactions online, and hope that that works. But to your point, it really doesn't. In terms of our logistics, so how we're coming across with our, with our audio and our visual, in terms of the tools we're using, you know, that whole one-inch-by-one-inch one square is, is very true if you're in a Zoom or a WebEx or a Teams. But I think that's probably why a lot of the, the stuff that's being explored now uh, whether that that's Clubhouse or uh, Wonder or some of these other apps that are being done, there's a lot of experience be- experiments being done now with different sorts of spaces. And they're not being used extensively for training yet, but I suspect that some of these more interesting interactive spaces that we're getting are getting built and experimented with online right now will will move into training uh, because copying and pasting, just converting rather than transforming your sessions, it doesn't work. It's not possible to recreate that feeling uh, unless you do something drastically different. So what we're saying is we're not copying, pasting. It doesn't mean we're throwing away the learning content. We're simply repurposing it, but intentionally for a virtual environment, just taking something that's been previously used in a face-to-face environment, like a, a, an on-site workshop, and trying to hammer that into the round hole of now a one or two hour condensed remote session. That's not going to work. Exactly to that point. And I, I think going virtual to some extent really forces us as facilitators, trainers, coaches, etc., to reflect on how we're truly showing up. I think that face-to-face, oftentimes we could potentially get away with cutting corners with a bit of edutainment and just pure energy to carry it through. But with session design flows from activity to activity, if we want to do it meaningfully in a virtual space, it requires a much greater awareness and attention to detail, um, which is Perhaps it's it's a really good wake up call for us as facilitators. Yeah, and that's true because I I find people have said to me, trainers have said to me, I now have people resisting my my training because they don't see it as being something which can carry well in a virtual environment. And what's more, they want to pay less for it because I'm delivering content, perhaps the same value but in in less time. So what was previously a four-hour, a half-day, or a full day, um, let's say you're charging $2,000, that's now something that's only bringing in $700 or less because people don't want to sit on their bums for six hours. They want a a quick session, and they still expect the same value. Which kind of brings me to your second point, which is don't plan the same time. So we're not allowing for an eight-hour session anymore. That's kind of gone. So what do you mean exactly by don't plan the same time? Yeah, no, that, that's a good question. It's just the idea that virtually things, it's a, it's a strange paradox. People want shorter sessions and oftentimes have shorter attention spans uh, because there's so many multitasking options at their fingertips. But at the same time, we cannot just rush from A to B. Um, it, it, you know, I, I had a, a client once who, who went to Europe and he, 
he visited, you know, Spain and Germany and France and Portugal and all these places. He came back and he was all excited to share it with me. And I asked, well, great. How long were you there? And he goes, oh, five days. And he, he just never saw anything, really, if you think about it. He was just rushing from place to place. So when we try to like cram that all into that short little piece of time, it's just driving by the content rather than experiencing and getting the actual time to reflect. So I think that, you know, to your point that things are getting shorter, there are ways to positively push it back against that shortness. We've been doing a lot of mixed intensive sessions where it's either a series of modules with cohort support in between, or where it's a larger group session in the morning, followed by small group breakouts in the afternoon. And in that way, we're able to get some of that intimacy and authenticity uh, back, uh, you know, a real strong sense of community back that we would have in a face-to-face session potentially. And so there are positive ways to push back, uh, both on an economic sense, of course, because we do do need to pay the bills, but also genuinely on a, on a learning sense. And then your next tip is is make something synchronous. What do you mean by that? Well, I, I come from a very strong bias towards this, since my my first master's of science of education was focused on blended learning. So it's this idea of which I by no means invented a flipping classroom. But think about why do you actually have people face to face? And if it's just to dump information out, that's not really the best of use of their time because, you know, information, just information absorption can be done better through little video snippets, mini little TED Talks, that kind of stuff, micro learning and and just-in-time learning, Uh, whereas the face-to-face is really better suited towards application, reflection, discussion, simulation, and feedback. It's better focused on those things that are done live. So it's really thinking about how we can leverage the blend between those things to give people a bit more ownership of their out-of-session experience or their asynchronous elements uh, and using that to really maximize the actual time we have face-to-face for those things that are best done face-to-face. So we're thinking of things like um, intelligent use of time. So giving people content that they can read before the, the session, perhaps some audio content they can listen to, perhaps some kind of exercises or prep material so when they arrive in the session, they're good to go. We're not spending time spinning wheels and, and establishing learning objectives. We can do a lot of stuff offline pre-session. Uh, yes. The caution there is we always talk about getting ownership and buy-in from participants. And oftentimes, especially in a corporate training environment, it can be difficult to get that. I'm not saying impossible because it can absolutely occur. But sometimes with shorter sessions, it can be tricky to get that buy-in prior to the session. What we do have a really strong practice of and a lot of good results on is in the follow-through, the, the, the shaped cohorts we create afterwards where it's accountability partners. You know, Picture uh, book, book clubs or, or the buddy system where they're, they're following through on that stuff, potentially with their, uh, their managers and as well with their peers or with us. So a lot of the follow-through stuff is the really powerful stuff for flipping. Uh, so we try to keep the pre-work still short and sweet, but impactful to set them up for success. So what you mentioned there with, with those shaped cohorts, that's more la- as a post-session. Post and in-between. It works incredibly well in-between sessions as a bridge piece, uh, but it also does work to sustain the learning. Because ultimately, I, I think our job is, as good facilitators is in some spaces to replace ourselves. So we're not simply looping around. I mean, if we look at whether you call it like it's 70, 20, 10, or however you want to, you know, however you want to break it down, a lot of the learning is occurring from peer to peer as well as on the job. And if we're only focused on that 10% that's the classroom learning, then I think we're not necessarily doing the best job we could be as facilitators. So it's looking at how we can help structure the other pieces where they're learning to carry that through into the workplace and into their lives. Yeah, and that's a massive um, 
point of value there. So few trainers focus on the pre and the post, and we we spend too much time focused on the this, the face-to-face session, or at least the remote session. There's so much we can get people to do and learn beforehand and after the session. So there are three parts to this. Isn't that true? Uh, it is true. It's funny. I think a lot of trainers want to. It's not, it's not for lack of want. It's like a lot of us want to, to get in shape or run a marathon each year, which I fully recommend. It's a good thing to do. But wanting to do it and being able to do it, it's partially, it's tricky for us sometimes to have those conversations with clients where ostensibly they want to measure results. But, you know, too, too often, as Will Fallemeyer points out, we just measure by, by smile sheets and just that. I don't even mean like, yeah, exactly. Not even upgraded ones. And that's, you know, that's, that's measuring (laughs) level one evaluation, uh, the wedding. Yeah. Yeah. It's a level one. It's measuring the wedding and not the marriage. So it's, (laughs) it's really critical that we, we, we go a bit beyond that. Okay. Number four, iterate, or at least my word, don't forget to do your homework. So here we're talking about taking what we've done with with trainees, with with delegates, with a cohort, and in an agile sense, taking that learning and cycling that back into the session so we actually improve next time. Absolutely. It, it's, I mean, it's honestly, it's just about going back and being intensely curious. So my father was a dentist in the Navy. And what's kind of interesting or scary, if you're a dentist in the military, is from the day you go in to the day you leave, you could, if you chose, never learn anything new. So the dentist you've got who's at the 30th year of their career could technically be using outdated skills. On the other side, my dad, he actually used uh, government's money, one of the few good uses of government money, to continuously <laughs> learn, to take classes and constantly, constantly better himself in terms of his skill sets, uh, which he always loved. He's like, I spent a ton of money making making all these people's fa- you know mouths healthier, better, etc. So I think the same is true with our own education is we do fossilize our practices. Even great facilitators do. For myself in the last year, and I think that I'm definitely not alone in this, I've revamped so many practices in my training and every single one of them, in, in, at least in my mind and in the feedback we've gotten, has been a positive one. And I've been training you know, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 years before then. So it was kind of shocking how many changes uh, were put in place to the framework. So what are some of those changes, Joshua, that you've made? Oh, goodness. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, the tech, uh, I mean, tech is the obvious ones. one, isn't it? I mean, that's a big jump. I mean, since last year, have you used, I mean, you use Miro, I take it. So you've used tech differently, I'm sure, since COVID began. Yeah. And I could pretend to be an early adopter to Miro, but I uh, went from finding out what Miro was in January of 2020 to speaking at their, uh, to being one of the speakers with my, my uh, collaborator, Isman Tanuri, at their global keynote conference in, in the fall. So from from zero to being deeply involved in Miro, um, all in like an eight-month time period. So I th- that's like one bubble just on the tool side. The other one is actually because of the shortening times, it really forces you to be a better editor. Like when I went from being university faculty to being a trainer who does like one, two, three, or week-long sessions, that forces you to, to condense the meaningfulness of those uh, you know, semester-long programs into something that impacts deeply in a short period. If you have to do the same and move it to like a mixed intensive or some sort of express session, the way you play with frameworks where you're, you're really simplifying and paring it down to what creates the biggest impact, it forces you to constantly reflect, reflect, and refine, which I think can actually be quite cool and frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if nothing else, what, what, what this pandemic situation's done is it, it's forced us to prune back the stuff which doesn't sell because it's of no value. And even then, what is the best way to deliver this particular content? Um, we we'll, we'll really have to be very careful now about 
what we do and the value it has. People are being very selective about their time. I find people are really want to know before a session, what are we covering in the session? How long does this last? What do we cover? What do we get? I'm having these conversations previously. You could have almost said, well, we'll book people in for a day's training. And you leave it to the trainer to almost make up their mind as to what they're doing on that day. But now people want more ownership. So that's one of your, I think, tenets is, is creating a sense of ownership on behalf of people so they can take ownership of their own training, self-direct. And I actually love that. So that's a really good point. And so I, I don't think that those conversations happening more is a bad thing. I think it's an extremely positive direction. Uh, so that's like on the, on, for our L&D compartment uh, counterparts and the stakeholders we work with, I think it's great they're having this as long as we as facilitators don't just become, you know, order takers where, uh, where we're just looking at our menu. Yes, we can do that. Yes, we can do that. It's, it's that desire to, so, I mean, if you, if you look at our, our prospectus, uh, which by the way, that's not a sales pitch, just in terms oh, of yes, it how is. we okay. work, it literally, <laughs> that's yes, to other facilitators who might want to buy our programs, uh, but it's, it starts off with, we're not for everyone. It's really, mm. I believe that every material you do, every session, you, every material you put together, every session you do should be designed to start the kinds of conversations that you believe are worth having that, you know, restaurants that are one size fits all that are, are something for everyone aren't the best restaurants. It's have an opinion in how you facilitate, have an opinion in, in how you, in how you think sessions are, are best run. Now, at the same time, we're trying to create that ownership through creating psychological safety. They're creating, again, those spaces where people are having conversations, not just performing them. But that doesn't mean that we are um, everything to everyone. It's, it's having a view about what really matters in terms of, of moving education forward. How can we use tech to build authenticity? Because I know that's one of the topics on your course, which, by the way, is on Teachable. It's, you use Teachable as your platform for online courses. Um, that's a great question. How do we use tech to build authenticity? We're remote. We can't see people. It's kind of unnatural. How do we bring our, as facilitators, as trainers, coaches, consultants, how do we bring our, our real self to the game, to, to this virtual classroom? Good question. I'm just briefly tagging. If anyone is shopping for an LMS, Teachable's fine. Uh, Thinkific or Learn Worlds are actually better, in my opinion. Um, Yes. Uh, but uh, Teachable was fast and quick when we were doing this particular public-facing one. It's lovely. It works perfectly fine. But in terms of robustness, uh, like price-to-value ratio, I would actually lean towards uh, Thinkific or, or Learn Worlds even, depending on what you want. Although Teachable is, is really still in the top three. It's, it's a great option as well for an open LMS. I hope An- Anchor, the CEO of, of Teachable, isn't listening, but never mind. <laughs> I, I like honesty, and I, that's great Great feedback for people listening. So well, he should add some features then. <laughs> so- <laughs> Well, to the question about um, you know using tech to build authenticity, and I mentioned it, the fact that everyone these days is an inch high, inch wide on the screen. How do we bring our kind of personal self to the classroom, the virtual classroom? Uh, it's threefold. It's like from the facilitator side, it's it's making sure at a minimum you have set up your audio and video well, so you're coming across with presence. The difference, like right now, um, I'm on my my AirPods, which is it's okay audio quality. But the difference if I'm running like crisp audio plus running a good microphone in terms of how my voice comes across with, with a radio voice, which you can't hear now through the AirPods, but imagine I have a, a warmer, more resonant voice. That right there creates a sense that they are with you, that they're physically in the room. Uh, second, it's in terms of from a tech perspective, things using things that democratize the learning space. 
uh, in terms of making things feel authentic. If people just feel like they're being shuffled from breakout to breakout, room to room, where it's entirely controlled and dominated by the, the facilitator, I'm not saying we should have no control. We're not talking full-on open space or, or chaos here necessarily. But things like Miro, for example, uh, which uh, you've, you've done a show about, where the learners and their, their breakout groups can actually take over um, part of the virtual classroom. It's that idea of what we would call like physical places and digital spaces. They have a real sense of space where they can actually uh, they can gather their notes, they can put stuff up there. And this could be something as, as simple as a, as a collaborative um, wiki or a Google shared document, something like that. Anything in which it's them actually staking their claim and making this space theirs, and at the same time, making the conversations they're having visible so that one conversation flows into the next and they can see that progress really begins to create a sense of authenticity and a sense of presence, as opposed to if you're just taking people, all right, Zoom point in the main room, now breakout, discuss, come back, go around, maybe report, next Zoom thing in the breakout, come back, quick simulation. If we just do that, people feel like they're being shuffled from step to step to step. Uh, it's almost like when I was um, getting my my health check when I was working for a university in Korea, and it was at, at Samsung Hospital, great hospital, very efficient, but literally you were just moving from station to station. Yeah, you're a number. You're a number rather than a participant. Yeah, something else that comes to my mind is is this tool called Loom, um, which I can quickly use to film a video. And I find often sending people a very quick pre-session video. Hi, this is Mark. I'll be your facilitator on this program. We'll be covering these things. And I give them something about me. Um, there's a connection that they can almost reflect on and and maybe reciprocate with. So when they're coming to the session with me, they're almost emulating this and they're introducing themselves in that way. So there's a whole bunch of tools. I know we can meet right now face-to-face, but there are tools like Loom and, and of course, Miro, which you've mentioned to give people a sense of ownership over their space, uh, you know, physical space in a digital place. I love that expression. Um, and you've got Google Jamboard, which is not as powerful as Miro or, or Mural, another tool still. Um, and I think these will be a large part of how we get people to bring their personal selves, their selves to the training. So getting people to choose their color of pen as they move things, you know, which color of sticky notes they like. Using a, I use avatars on, on Miro, get them to have a, choose a face you can get, uh, you know, logos and um, icons inside Miro and get people to choose their own face and explain why that particular avatar or face represents them. So we can b- build ways to bring people's selves or or real selves into a digital space. We just have to be creative. What about um, gamification? That's a big, big thing. Um, there's a danger that as you mentioned, the training, the trainer takes over and it's all about her or him. How can we gamify learning so that people have, have fun? It's not just another, another, yet another Zoom session on another Zoom workday. How do we actually gamify learning so people don't see it as a meeting? Because that's the danger right now, as people have, have said this to me. I can't tell the difference anymore between a meeting and a training session because it's all through Zoom or it's all through Teams. So how do we gamify and make it a, you know, a different experience. And that was very well said. It's yeah, the idea of people are people are meeting their families, they're dating, they're socializing all through Zoom. Uh, it it be, does become that need to create that differentiation. Uh, so before I dip into gamification, just want to say thanks for sharing on Loom. Uh, Douglas Ferguson Voltage Control, also a great, great training firm. 
they do a lot with that, with the same thing with Loom. We actually even, um, in the emails we send in pre-work, we use something called dub video to embed videos in there to do the exact same thing of welcoming them on board. Um, we also use an app like Benji. Uh, so you know like Mentimeter, which is that polling survey, blah, blah, blah app? There's a, a, a newer one called Benji, uh, My Benji, which I, I quite love. And what they've got in their beta coming out is you can actually have people actually do those little videos and things in the pre-work and then in the session itself, it carries through. So they're not going to too many places at once. So for me, that really dovetails into gamification. There's bad gamification is <laughs> tossing 100 people um, or just having spinning wheels left and right. It's having too, too many apps, too many places. Um, it's gamification for gamification's sake. So I'm very, I love gamification, but I'm very cautious on it because it's an external motivator. And it's one of those things where the moment, how to put it, oftentimes life in the workplace is not gamified. You're not getting those 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 little competitions and <laughs> those true. little prizes for that. Hey, you turned up. Here's a cup of coffee. Well done. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Whereas, you know, if, especially if you're doing larger virtual sessions, it can be a good way to play with the content. And for me, that's that's the lens with which we we want to um, we want to use it for. Is gamification is used to play with the content to not remove the seriousness, but to get people to, to look at it from different angles. And the best gamification gets people to step back and go, huh, you can actually, um, like, like even small elements can be gamified. Like for example, if you're looking at collaborative discussions, um, I was at a session where they did what's called skip level discussions, where the, where the questions got deeper and deeper and deeper, but they were gamified in the sense that with your partner, you could start at any level, but you weren't allowed to go back a level. So you had to meet your level. If they started at level four, you had to go either at level four or go even deeper into the discussion. And little tiny nudges like that are positive forms of gamification that help people to open it up while at the same time uh, just making it a little bit more fun. So it's it's using gamification as that lens. I find gamification is quite useful when it comes to reinforcing uh, self-directed learning. So giving people... Um, encouragement so they don't drop off. And there's a real danger that people have fun in a session, but then because they're on their ownio, uh, there's this sense of, um, well, isolation. But if we gamify it, we can reward people, typically through an LMS, to to achieve little you know benchmarks and, and just keep on going. Um, so just final thoughts before we wrap up here. Um, when it comes to, you know, what kind of skills does someone need to, to succeed these days if we kind of think of the, a formula for someone to be a really uh, top top shelf, um, radically remote trainer or facilitator, what what kind of skills come to mind? Someone who's listening to this and has perhaps not yet made the dip into training, but but um, wants to become a really brilliant remote trainer because because this could be the way of the future for a while to come. In a nutshell, it's user research. So it's. I know this sound, might, might sound like a slightly strange analogy, but it's what the best hotels do. It's it's that idea of intensely thinking of the guest experience of from the moment they come in through every little sequence, the small little details add up and truly, truly matter. And I, I always like that. Like, for example, um, there was a, a they, I think it's like the virtual campfire training, um, and I forget the exact name of the firm that provides it, but they do storytelling training, and they literally send people a s'mores kit in the mail with a candle, so everyone's actually <laughs> gathered around a, 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 a fire. And so, so so that is brilliant, but it's a small little thing 
that breaks expectations, which goes back to what we said all the way back at the beginning, and creates a sense that this is a meaningful moment, that this is something that is being marked. Chip and Dan Heath's book, The, the Power of Moments, and Priya Parker's book, The Art of Gathering, are honestly my two huge resource books in terms of how to create meaningful experiences. Um, obviously, there's tons of other facilitation books by by the likes of, uh, of Elaine Beach, uh, along with, with many, many others. I'm going to have to ask you to email these to me, Joshua, for sure. Sure, you bet. Yeah. No, no worries. So I can share them with uh, listeners. But it, it's, really, it's really that intense learner experience that is underpinning it all. And I think anyone could be a good facilitator if they really, truly unpack that in terms of how you break things apart into modules, how you sequence and build those together so that it's all about them and their journey. It's not about how well did I deliver a simple message. It's ultimately measured by how well did they take this on board and make this their story and carry it back into their lives and their jobs. Which, of course, is the goal of training, isn't it? It's, uh, it's that transformation. Exactly. It's, yeah. it's not about how smart I am. It's about how much they can actually get out of this. So where can people find out more about you and, of course, your free course? Uh, well, they can go to nomium.com, which is uh, K-N-O-W-M-I-U-M.com. Just think knowledge plus plutonium. It's very, very dangerous, but always a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> or if they want the free course, it's at uh, radicallyremote.com. And, of course, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, and all the the fun stuff. Although definitely on Twitter, I'm more of a lurker than a uh, poster. Joshua, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you for being my guest on the show. Thanks so much, Mark. Lots of fun as well here from Hong Kong. My thanks to Joshua for being my guest today here on the Training Business Podcast. And thanks to you for your time wherever you are today in the world. Listening to this could be this week in March 2021 or sometime in the future. But I appreciate your continued loyalty, listenership, and of course, your suggestions for guests and for content. If you have ideas for episodes, please keep those coming. You can reach me personally via mark at trainingbusiness.com. I'd love you to subscribe to the show because this helps to boost the ratings of the show. It costs you absolutely nothing and prompts you when we have episodes coming up in the near future. You can find this show and every episode of the show on your podcast platform of choice, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and more. There is a fresh episode next week, every single Thursday, in fact. So I look forward to your company next week, next time. Until then, keep training, keep selling, stay safe. Bye for now. Thanks once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.